You're listening to the ILC Radio Network, brought to you by the Iowa Lean Consortium and Zone Strategies. Here's your host, Stephen Wilson. Welcome to the ILC Radio Network podcast. Today's guests are Jim Benson and Tony Ann DeMaria. Both of them have been in the uh, Des Moines area doing a workshop this week. And so uh, Jim and Tony Ann like to welcome you both to the show. Well, thank, thank you so much for having us. Yes. Uh, I'm glad we were able to, to, to make the connection, and I realize you've been doing training all of these days. So, again, really appreciate you guys taking the, uh, the time. Just to introduce the guests uh, uh, to, to those, the listeners, Jim Benson. Jim's a pioneer in understanding and managing knowledge work and an internationally recognized speaker and author. And Tony Ann is an author as well, systems thinker, photographer, historian who looks beyond obvious problems for social and systemic root causes, and both of them are the co-authors of the book Personal Kanban. Uh, now, one thing as well, you folks have a, uh, a business, a company. What's the name of that business? It's called Modus Cooperandi. Modus Cooperandi. All right. Well, yep. I have to start by asking, tell us about the name. I know it... Uh, um, I obviously, you know, with modus operandi and that, but cooperandi, what's yep. the take with that? Well, most of the work that we do is in one way around collaborative management, uh, <laughs> applying lean to knowledge work and applying um, neuroscience to how people not just work, but how they conceive of their work and how they get together to build things, to build, you know, value for customers, for people. And uh, what we've found time and time again is that when we collaborate on projects, the quality goes up, the time to completion goes down, and uh, the general satisfaction of everybody involved increases. Now, now Tony, answer me this, if you would, please. You know, this, this culture here in the United States, a lot of individualistic, right? We, individually, I pulled myself up my, by my bootstraps, et cetera. Do you find uh, difficulty in getting organizations to look in that collaborative approach? Initially, yes. Um, it also depends on what vertical. So I spent 20 years in Washington, D.C., in the Beltway, mm -hmm. and, and um, I think that there was a lot more competition in the Beltway than I found when I moved to the West Coast. Mm -hmm. um, living in Seattle, I see that people are more inspired by um, putting their heads together and coming up with ideas with other people. And I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily see that in some of the other verticals that I had worked in prior to moving to the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And then you come here to, uh, to the beloved state of Iowa where uh, – <laughs> Nobody wants to tell anybody that anything is wrong, and it's, <laughs> um, uh, sometimes we have a little bit uh, in interesting perspectives there. What are you guys doing here in Iowa this week? Uh, well, so this week we were teaching two classes back-to-back -back for basically lean knowledge work. Uh, so lean in the office. Uh, mm -hmm. The office environment is a little bit different than the shop floor where you've got a lot of people. And those people all have personalities, and they all have—they're uh, all overloaded. And um, that 
becomes very difficult to get things completed because people have so much work going on all the time that they're being interrupted by people who are who are waiting for that work or whose work sure. they're waiting for. And uh, so we, in those two classes, we had 72 people come through uh, these over these last four days. And what we found was we had 72 people who were very interested in working together in building a um, supportive and uh, profitable environment in the office and uh, doing that in ways that uh, that actually might surprise um, lifetime Iowans or Nebraskans. Well, what was really interesting about this group was that they came to the workshops without the expectation that there would be a, a, um, a clear translation or an easy translation from manufacturing lean to knowledge work lean. And that excited Jim and I. So, you know, they were less interested in, in, in worrying about movement and wasted motion in the office and putting tape around their, around their staplers than, there were, yeah. than they were. Yeah, and, um, and that was exciting for us because we've, we've taught a lot of classes where people ex expect that clean transition and, um, and you just don't get it with knowledge work. You know, the Gemba in knowledge work is not as obvious as it is quite often on the factory floor. So we like to talk about within, in knowledge work, the Gemba is essentially, you know, where you're creating value is the brain, the brains of the organization. So a lot of the tools that we talk about, primarily personal Kanban, is a way to externalize the Gemba. And, um, and we utilize a board to do that. And, and, um, and this class, they were, they were incredible with the way that they were engaging with the board. Good people. So when you talk about knowledge work, uh, explain that a little bit. What, uh, what are you sure. referring to there? So, yeah, yeah when, so when you're working on the factory floor, you're utilizing brawn, essentially, and you're creating a standardized product. In knowledge work, you're utilizing your brain and you're dealing with a lot more variation. And it's not as easy to see waste. Um, so that's the reason we try to externalize your processes. We try to visualize your processes. We try to visualize your capacity. And that's probably the most difficult thing, is getting people to recognize that they are not unconstrained resources, right? So when you're not visualizing what you're doing, you take on more work. And the more work that you take on and you're not visualizing, when, it, when you're in knowledge work, the more, um, um, the more you're taxing your, 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 the more overload you've got, the more cognitive overload you've got, and the less quality and the less completion you're likely to, to be met with. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so the organizations, not by name, but what were some of the organizations represented? Uh, well, there was some light manufacturing, there was government, uh, there was a little bit of healthcare. Uh, there were some nonprofits. Yep. Um, uh, banking. Uh, insurance. So insurance. Yep. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't know, kind, kind of. Oh, and software. So kind of the the gamut of uh, of, of verticals that uh, focus mainly on invention or you know processing processing problems or ideas. And Tony, and to your point with the you know taper on the stapler and things of that nature, and, and moving away from that, isn't that the very essence of lean? I mean, yes, you've got those those particular tools, but lean is is more than just the tools, right? 
Oh, I mean, as a way of thinking, um, mm-hmm. you know, quite often we hear, we hear the erroneous statement, lean is doing more with less. And mm-hmm. Benjamin, I cringe at that. Um, if anything, lean is about creating a culture of problem solvers. Lean is creating more value with less effort and more intention. But, you know, when, when you go into an organization and people hear that you're there for lean and they immediately think more with less, they immediately wonder, is my job on the line? And yeah. that couldn't be further from, you know, we, we talk about waste with lean and probably the biggest waste or even the only waste that Jim and I really care about with regard to knowledge work is mm-hmm. waste of human potential. Yeah. Um, you know, Toyota speaks in terms of respect, you know, and, and we try to explain to people respect isn't necessarily being nice to each other, but respect uh-huh. is acknowledging and honoring that you are hiring people to bring their skill to a certain task. And because they are closest to the work, they're the ones that we should look to for information about how to improve that work. Mm. And, um, and at the end of the day, I mean, there's so many psychological reasons why that's fulfilling, you know. People at the end of the day should feel that they've created value for themselves, for their teammates, for their company, you know, and, and hopefully for society at large. Well, I think that's, that's such a, a refreshing look at lean um, because quite often, you know, lean uh, oftentimes will focus on the tools and, and a lot of organizations will want to start with those tools or even looking for waste, but the the – the eighth waste, if you will, that let, you know, the, the waste of, of human potential there in, in intellect is oftentimes uh, just an add-on uh, without that, uh, the emphasis on that and really beginning at that point. What we've noticed, people do get wrapped up with the tools. And um, we, we did one exercise today where we, we looked at, you know, how, are people paying attention to the types of problems that they have? Because not right. every tool should be utilized for every problem. Um, but yeah. they have this toolkit, right? So they have these A3s, and, and they're going to apply an A3 even to the most simple or um, the most obvious problems. And what we're trying to get across to people is when you're not overloaded, you actually have time, you have the cognitive capacity to pay attention to what's going on in front of you. You know, we, we often don't have the opportunity at work to think about our work. Quite often, all we're doing is acting mm-hmm. or even worse, reacting at work mm-hmm. rather than actually mm-hmm. taking the time because we've got the bandwidth or we've got the capacity to think about what it is that we're doing. And so hopefully with some of the tools like Personal Kanban that we're, we're, we're giving people, um, it, it helps them free up some extra time in their, in their day so that they could respond to variation, so that they could actually have conversations that are going to create value. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim, you were talking early on here, you mentioned uh, neuroscience. Can you go into a little bit of, of that and, and how that relates to the work that you're doing? Uh, sure. So um, I, my, my original background was in psychology, and Tony Ann and I have both become uh, pretty ardent students of the advancement of the understanding not only of how the brain works, but then also how our brains work when when coupled with each other. And um, a lot, for example, for a lot of this class, we relate a lot of common dysfunctions in the office back to some fairly common cognitive biases. 
Um, so uh, one of which might be loss aversion, where people put a certain amount of energy into a project and then they just keep going on with the project, even though it's obvious that the project has gone off the rails because they've already invested time and money into starting it. And like, we can't stop now. And, you know, they become, you know, uh, actually penny foolish and pound foolish. Um, the, another one might be um, fundamental attribution error, where when something goes wrong, rather than stopping and saying systemically, you know, what happened to cause this breakdown or this problem, we look for the right person to blame. Uh, so most businesses operate on an accountability model. Uh, accountability models tend to be blame first, solve problem later. And so we talked about, about ways to get, to get around that. And then lastly, it's um, uh, cognitive, science, or cognitive um, uh, biases and um, neuroscience are also kind of the foundation of a field of study called behavioral economics. And there is a strong relationship between the way that we relate to each other and the way that we relate to work and how we relate to economics and transactions. So how can we build systems that have strong transactional models that give people the most, you know, frankly, joy for doing their work or the most um, professional satisfaction uh, while at the same time making sure that that system also promotes quality, promotes um, uh, um, uh, QA and QC loops, uh, conversations with the customer, and et cetera. Hmm. Yeah. Is that, uh, is it that relatively unique in bringing that to the discussion of, of lean and continuous improvement? Uh, when we started it, it was totally unique. It's becoming less unique. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so so um, what I would like to say gradually, because that would make me feel better about my or our amazing discoveries, but actually not gradually. Uh, the world of lean, the world of, uh, of um, organizational design has been very quick to take uh, some of the things that we've said and run with it. So there's a lot of people doing a, a lot of good work and a lot of good thinking right now in uh, – making more humane workplaces that are optimized for making the most of the human resource that is actually doing all the work. Yeah. And, and they probably get mad at me for selling people resources. <laughs> you know, people are always interested in the whole concept of work-life balance. And what we like to tell people is that we're actually not proponents of work-life balance because we don't believe that you can bifurcate your life in terms of work and in terms of home. So when yeah. you go into the office, you don't automatically, you know, being professional is not shutting down your concern for your family back home. When you leave right. the office and you go home, you're still probably, I mean, you're, you could be present for your family, but you're still thinking about, you know, that report that's due tomorrow morning at 730 in the right. morning. So what we're trying to give is people a mechanism or a way to build systems for a living so that they can integrate um, all the different components of their life. So, because we feel that if you go into work and you have less stress on you because you're visualizing your work, the two, the two rules of personal Kanban are visualize your work and limit your work in progress. 
And we don't care how you do it. We just want you to see what you're doing, and we want to make sure you're not overextending yourself, that you understand that you have a capacity and you can't go back past that capacity. Because if you do that, you will probably be completing more work, and you will probably be completing work with a higher level of quality and in time. And then when you leave the office, you feel like you've actually made a contribution. And then when you go home, I mean, the thought is, you'll probably be, you know, more present and happier as, as a parent and as a spouse and less of a drain on the healthcare system. And, you know, the kingdom of Bhutan several years ago discovered that gross, um, gross domestic product was not a healthy enough measure of a nation's health, but ra- rather happiness was. So what we're trying to do with the systems that, the lean systems that we're, we're, we're um, exploring and helping people to build is to create these virtuous cycles where, you know, people are happier and more satisfied at work. They could go home and that will, will extend into their private time with their family. Mm-hmm. Is, is that the essence then of, your, of the book, Personal Kanban? Is that what that goes into deeper then? Um, yes, and... <laughs> uh, okay. So, <laughs> so the the book and especially so the book itself um, uh, discusses uh, the form of the personal kanban uses that we've seen, and then the psychology and the economies behind that. In okay. the class that we teach now, we take that one step further, and we talk about how you can build systems that are beneficial both to um, productivity and to effectiveness. So Mm -hmm. how can we build a system that gives us the feedback that we need to engage in continuous improvement, to actually do the improvement, (laughs) and uh, to make sure that, you know, we're doing the things that the customer needs and getting it at the time that they need it. Mm. Tony, Anna, I I think on the – the website I was reading, and by the way, folks, it's uh, moduscooperandi.com. That's moduscooperandi.com is the website where you can find uh, both uh, Jim and Tony Ann and the work that they're doing. And on there, you're talking about uh, create cultures of continuous improvement via business environments that are more humanistic than mechanistic. Can you elaborate a yeah. little bit on that? I know we've been talking a little bit, but is there uh, additional things that you can you can say around that? Yeah, so um, usually what happens in business process is we focus on the value and we focus on kind of the, the company system. You know, you will do these actions in this order to yield this product. Um, usually what we find is that when people start to go down that path, you know, and we, all of our boards have a value stream, so we, we, do, we do go down that path. We don't, what we don't do is we don't say this is ab- the absolute value stream, so we know that it's going to change. Um, and the, there are two um, concurrent products of any group, any knowledge work group. One is the product that they're creating to sell, and the other is the internal culture that allows them to work. And uh, we want to build systems, we want to build visualizations that allow people to see what their current, um, their current value stream is, uh, watch work flow through that value stream, have huddles in front of that board every day so that they can get good tactical knowledge about what's, what's going on, 
um, and who's going to do what, what's stuck, what's flowing, what's not flowing. And then they can have the conversations. Okay, we have a bottleneck here. We have work starvation there. Uh, we have a frustration here. This, this type of work seems to always fail, while this other type of work seems to always flourish. Um, the group, uh, as a group, our team that's building these things, we love doing this stuff and we hate doing this other stuff. Um, and then taking all of that information and turning that into improvement opportunities. So maybe we're going to outsource the things that we don't like, or maybe we're going to take the things that we don't like and look at them and say, what is it that's frustrating us here and see if we can make that frustration go away and turn it into something that we do like. Or as work is flowing through and that work is flowing smoothly, we can say, you know, is there a way to make that work flow even more smoothly? Or is there a lesson there that we can learn to take to other parts of the company so that it, they can also flow, flow smoothly? Um, we want people to own the work that they have, but usually in knowledge work, people are siloed. So I'll do a couple tasks and then I'll throw it over the wall to a different silo. They'll do a couple tasks and they'll throw it off to like Los Angeles to do some things and then Los Angeles will do some work and they'll throw it off to India. And each time we have those silos and work goes outside of that silo, the company loses momentum, it loses learning, it loses enthusiasm, uh, and it loses uh, ownership. So we want people to be able to visualize that whole value stream so that they can see that when they stop working on something, it keeps going until it's finally delivered, and that maybe they can help either up or downstream with some of that work that they're doing. So I guess those are, those are some, of the, some of the ways. It would it'd probably take about 11 hours to, to go through all of it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I'm sure. What are some of the things that yeah, maybe some of the aha moments that, that you, you see folks have as they're working through this, uh, this I guess maybe even a, a re-understanding of things? And uh, either one of you, what, uh, what are some of those, those uh, maybe comments or just some feedback that you're getting? What's been interesting is watching people interact with the Kanban for the first time. So the brain is not wired to process logic. The brain is wired to process stories. And the way the value stream works is that you've got your, your backlog or your options column, you're doing, and essentially you're done, which is the most simple value stream, which replicates pretty much, which replicates the story arc, which replicates pretty much every story ever told in any culture. So you've got your birth, you've got your, um, your conflict, and then you've got your resolution. And it's interesting to watch people um, from different cultures that might be coming together and working together, let's say they're with a distributed team, completely understanding that their work has context now. Um, whereas prior, prior to visualizing it, it was just one task after another. Now they understand how their work relates to each other, um, how their work relates to the organization, how their work relates to the client, um, and we hadn't seen that before when people were not visualizing their work. Likewise, we're seeing that the kinesthetic feedback and the visual feedback that people are getting from pulling tasks that they've completed into done, um, they get a burst of dopamine, right? So studies have shown that so much as even saying, I'm finished, gives you that burst of dopamine. It's habit forming. So you start optimizing for that burst. So what happens, you pull a task into done, and immediately you want, you want another hit of that dopamine. So you immediately go to pull another task into doing. We've seen this with kids. 
So um, we, um, we're in the process right now of writing a book called Kids Bond, which is applying um, personal Kanban to education and household chores and homeschoolers are using it. It's interesting, probably among the first people we ever heard from were parents. Um, that started utilizing boards in their households with their kids. Mm -hmm. And, um, um, you know, we don't – kids have been managing projects from the time that they're trying to figure out, do I work on my scouting badge or do I study for my science paper or work on my science paper or do I go and, you know, play, play Nintendo? Um, they're, they're trying to figure out, you know, what my options are, what my priorities are. But we don't teach project management until B-school. Right, mm -hmm. and how do kids, how do kids kids manage their yeah, and how do kids manage their um, competing priorities? Well, they they manage it by by having their parents saying, "Did you do this? Did you do that?" You know, right. instead of taking ownership. And the simple fact that a board gives people the agency to visualize their work on their own, to visualize their value stream, to pull work instead of having work pushed on them. Um, triggers a reward, uh, a reward um, um, mechanism. mechanism. Um, so that's been that's been fascinating to watch, especially especially mm -hmm. with kids. So, yeah. so in the class itself, uh, the there are everyone. When we do takeaways at the end of the class, it's interesting because we'll go around the class, and if there's 35 people in the class, we might get 35 different different takeaways. Uh, but some of them that show up more often than not are um, uh, that we teach people uh, you, that when you're when you're done with a task, you're not done with the um, you're not done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you finish the task, but now you need to remember that you did that task and how you did it, so that you can go back and improve it later. Um, and so we in you know we have the the uh, options column where stuff hasn't been done yet. We have the doing area, which might have multiple columns where things are being completed. And then you have the stuff that's actually being completed. But you hold on to that for a period of time, and then you go back and you use that for Kaizen events with actual information now. So it gives you a written record of what's actually happening. And before, like with to-do lists, people would, look, would be like, oh, I'm done. Why would I need to still think about that? Yeah, so one of the one of the terms that I don't like to hear, Tony Ann, you mentioned one uh, uh, early on is, uh, well, let's 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 go ahead, let's do lean, uh, because there's there's so much involved, and and as it comes to to leadership and, and leadership with that that mentality, um, how do you how do you assist those that are in maybe that middle management area that uh, that are are grabbing onto these concepts, but it's just you know they you still have the, the the perspective from from those higher up the food chain that you can just you know grab it off a shelf and and apply it and and uh, boy we've done lean. Yeah, we want a box of lean. Box of lean. There is no, as Dr. Yeah. Deming said, there is no instant pudding. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, we. we I, I think that the people who have engaged with us, even even through Twitter, recognize the last thing that they're going to get from us. Is, um, is, is thoughtless lean. So we like to say, you know, you are not a post-World War II struggling automobile company. You, neither are you a, um, a Swedish streaming music, music company. All right, you're not Toyota, you're not Spotify, you have a very different context. 
What worked for them worked for them in their own context. It's not so, going to work for you. Yeah, for a little while. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we, we want to create systems within the organization where they have self-awareness about who they are culturally, socially, who their customer is, how people work, how people engage with the customers, and um, build thoughtful systems, build thoughtful work systems that relate to the culture and the context that they are currently existing in. Hey, as we start to draw to a close, tell me a little bit about this notion of, of – uh, of lean coffee. I know, again, you could talk about it, but because meetings, meetings, there's a lot of meetings, and uh, obviously some are not going to go away. So, so how does lean coffee assist with making them uh, more effective meetings? Um, <laughs> so, um, so what, what I would, what I would say to that, uh, you know, kind of, kind of quickly is, uh, the, the notion of lean coffee came up, uh, specifically because we wanted to create, <laughs> we wanted to create, um, uh, a meeting format that actually showed the value of the meeting at, at when you got to the end. So sure. we were in a, in a lot of meetings where a lot of people were like, I didn't get any value from that meeting. And other people were like, I did. <laughs> and uh, so mm -hmm. Coffee does a couple of things. First off, it creates a democratically generated agenda, which means that when you throw the meeting, uh, you invite a lot of people who you already, you know, have some faith in. You want them to come to this meeting and, and participate but the first thing you do is you give them this like a super strong agenda, which says, while you're here, you know, smart brain, you will do exactly these things in these, in this three minute chunk. And then these things in this three minute chunk. And so we said, what it would happen if the smart people came to the meeting and they created the agenda. So there was a, you know, there's a purpose for the meeting and then you come and everybody writes down what they want to talk about. And then you vote and then you, you know, just like any other democratic thing, you the highest voting things are the things that you talk about. And in that way, you're somewhat assured that when you get into the meeting, you're talking to, about the stuff that is the most important to the participants. You are talking about the stuff that is the most timely, and you're talking about the stuff that is the most relevant. And we've noticed that that has some benefits in the meeting. Uh, so people talk over each other less, they interrupt less, because there's more respect, because you're not fighting against the meeting owner, you're actually part of the group that came up with the agenda. Um, then you talk about the things, and as you're talking about them, you learn stuff. You know, maybe they might not be, you know, mind-blowing realizations, but nonetheless you learn stuff. So people write down those things and they put them in what we call the epiphany column, although some people call it the learning column. And then those are the items of value that have actually come out of the meeting. And uh, that's, that's how it came to be and kind of that's how it works. One of the things that we wanted to change with meetings is, you know, um, we, we only semi-joke that if you go on Twitter at any given time and, and do a search on this meeting sucks, you will constantly get a, a constantly <laughs> regenerating list of people who are sitting in meetings at that very moment complaining about the meeting because it does not relate to them. 
or because they already know what's going to be disseminated in the meeting. And likewise, there's been this proliferation of, of meeting, meeting calculators to show how much waste is being generated, um, you know, either in, in terms of people or in terms of dollars um, in useless meetings. So the Kanban that we're using, if people are utilizing Kanban, it's a leading indicator, right? So you can see who's doing what. You can see what's behind. You can see what's flowing through the value stream. You can see what's completed, which means you no longer need to have a status meeting. If anything, mm -hmm. you could have a 10 to 15-minute stand-up in front of your board and address anomalies, address issues. You know, you could have a conversation about why something is stuck and how can we swarm on that and get that moving. Um, so we're trying to we're trying to utilize meetings for something other than an information exchange for information that you can get from from a simple board. You know, so whereas the done column on a personal Kanban is probably the most important column. In a, in a lean coffee, what we, what we hope for is that the epiphany column, that final column, not the done column, not that something has been, has been discussed, but the next steps or the learnings that surfaced from the meeting. We like to think that that's probably the most important column in a lean coffee, um, on a lean coffee board. Well, thank you guys. As I said, time would, would speed by. We're about 35 minutes already. And closing with that, that thought there of the epiphany, and hopefully uh, listeners out there, I know I've had some epiphanies along the way here as, as you're sharing uh, what the, the work that you do with, with uh, modus cooperandi and just these things, again, that, uh, that you've been diving into it uh, today. So I thank you very much for, again, after a, a busy week, uh, spending time talking with us. And uh, again, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed our show. For more information, please check us out online at iowalean.org and zstrat.com.